teacher once gave her second grade class an experiment. She told them that evening to go, after sun went down, to go in their backyard and to count the number of stars that they could see in the sky, and they'll come back the next day and, and kind of share that with the class. And so the next day, as class got started, she got to that point in the lesson, and she said, okay, now, how many of you counted the stars in the sky? And all of them raised their hand. And so she had them stand up then, one at a time, and she began to ask them how many stars that they counted. And the number ranged. One, one little boy said he had counted 78. And then there was one little girl who was always the smart one in the class that said she counted 213,110. But there was one little boy who, when he stood up, he said that he had counted 10 stars, which was way out of proportion to what the numbers that all the other kids had brought in. And so she stopped and she said, well, how, how is it that you counted so many less stars than, than the other kids counted? And he said, well... I have a very small backyard. (laughs) Now, when I read that, my, my first reaction was, that's how a lot of people think about God's grace. They have a very small window in which they view that grace. They miss, they miss the immensity of the grace of God. And so over the course of the the last few weeks and and in the weeks to come, we're going to be continuing to unfold God's grace for you. Because I think for some of us, our concept of God's grace is it was that doorway that we went through when we were saved. That God, we were saved by grace. And so we kind of went through a doorway, but as we live our lives, the doorway has kind of been left in the past. It's, it's been left behind us. And, and grace really doesn't seem to have much of a place in our lives as we live day to day, even now. And so my hope this morning is that perhaps you and I will get a little bit bigger view of the amazing grace of God that not only saves us, but sustains us is with us every moment in ways that we can, we can barely understand. Maybe, maybe our window into God's grace would be expanded so that it would fill our vision from horizon to horizon. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, as we consider your grace, first of all, we, we're grateful that you are a gracious God. And that your grace is perfect. And it's perfect in its work in our lives. It not only saves us, Lord, but it carries us through each moment of each day, even when we are blissfully unaware. And so, Lord, would you give us eyes that could behold the greatness of your grace? Would you give us hearts that could receive the fullness of that grace? And Lord, may we walk away from this place truly, truly amazed at your grace. For this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at simply two verses there in Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to look at all of verse 2. Romans chapter 5. Just a couple of sentences here. I want you to hear what the Lord has to say to us this morning. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, I want to begin this message with an apology. And the apology is this. Pulling two verses, really one sentence, out of Romans chapter 5 and sharing it with you. Well, it's kind of like giving you a snapshot from a four-hour movie. It's, it's sort of like going to the mall. And, you know, at the mall, if you go by the food court, there's always someone there with a tray of something with toothpicks in it. And they're wanting to give you a free sample. This morning, this is all I can do. The best I can do for you this morning is to give you the free sample. But what I want to tell you is that God has a literal buffet filled to overflowing that he wants to share with you. And so here's my encouragement for you. Since we're only going to be literally scratching the surface this morning, here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I'd like you to go back this afternoon on Monday at some point where you've got some time to sit down, and I'd like you to reread these two verses, uh, 1 and 2, in Romans chapter 5. And then I'd like you to kind of back up, and I'd like you to read those two verses in the context of the entirety of chapter 5. And if you had the time, what would be really wonderful is to read chapter 5 in the context of the entire letter to the church at Rome. Because today, you get the free sample. But God's got so much more for you. Don't settle. None of us settle for the free sample. Now, if you go to Sam's Club... You can, you can make a meal off the free samples. You just keep going around. You turn your shirt inside out so they don't recognize you. Do something. You could Now, no. here's what I'm saying is what I'm giving you today is just that, that little bit of truth on a toothpick, but God's got more for you. And I want you to receive what God's got for you. So let's plunge in and see if we can understand even these verses this morning as it helps to give us a, a greater view of the vista of God's amazing grace. The sentence begins with the word therefore. Now, whenever you see therefore, it's, it's therefore a reason. In other words, what the, the, the writer, in this case, what the Apostle Paul wants to get across is based on something that he has said previously. And so the foundation that he has laid, he's pointing us backwards to that foundation. The good news for us this morning is we don't have to go back and read the entirety of chapter 4 to get the gist of what he was saying because he tells us. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Okay, here's the foundation. The foundation of his argument on our standing in Christ is based on our justification through faith. And if you go back and you read, that's what Paul has been talking about. That's what he's been arguing for, that we're justified by God, not by our works, not by our goodness, not by our religious uh, fervor, not by our religious adherence to rules, but we're justified through faith. And so if this is the foundation to talk about our standing before God, then wouldn't it help to know what justification is? 
All right, I'm not going to test you right now, but that's one of those Christian words. That's one of those, you know, big theology words. And we see it, and a lot of times we just read over it. And, and I know you, you've probably sat in messages or sat in, in Sunday school classes or Bible studies where they tried to explain justification to you. And it may have, they may have used long, long winding definitions and tried to capture all of the theology of justification. And you just get lost in that. And then you may have said in other things that where they just tried to give it to you uh, in a, a short, simple thing that you could remember. For instance, if you can remember justified as it's just as if I'd never sinned and see, that's true, but it's not complete. And so what I'd like to do is to kind of give you what I'll call a layman's definition, a, a simple way to understand justification, but not so simple that it loses its power. And so justification, we'll define it this way. Justification is God's action to pardon all our sins and declare us as righteous in his sight, not because of any act of our own, that we've done anything to earn it or deserve it. It is received by faith in Jesus Christ. I say that's simple. And it is, it's about as simple as you can get it and still capture the fullness of what justification is. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are justified. What you need to understand is this is for you. This definition is yours. That God has done something for you that you could not do for yourself. He has acted on your behalf to remove all your sins, all your sins, every sin, past, present, and future. He's acted to remove all those sins through the completed work of Jesus Christ. And he has taken that sin from you and given to you his righteousness so that you stand right before God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what God has done for you. And so that is justification. And that is the basis upon which the rest of this flows. So if we don't understand justification... We're not going to understand anything else. Do I need to go over it again? We all good? All right. Well, let's, let's continue to move forward then. Because you see, every Christian is saved in the same way. There aren't some who are saved by doing this and some that are saved by doing that and some that are saved by doing this over here. No, we're all saved in the same way. And that way is this. We come with a recognition that we are sinners that we are separated from God by our sin and that we have no hope of putting it back together again. Alyssa, do you remember Humpty Dumpty? All right, Alyssa's being baptized a little later today. And we talked about Humpty Dumpty. We talked about the, 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 the story of Humpty Dumpty falling from the walls, shattered beyond repair, all the king's horses, all the king's men could put Humpty together again. That is our spiritual state apart from Christ. If I gave you an egg and told you to drop it on a concrete floor and then I gave you duct tape and glue as much as you could possibly use and I asked you to put that egg back together again to to make it like it was before, you would have to eventually throw up your hands and say, I can't do it. It can't be fixed. And that is our understanding as, as sinners, in, in, we, we can't, we're broken beyond repair. No matter what we do, 
And no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how diligent we are, we can't fix that. And it is that recognition that helps us to understand that God has done something for us in Jesus that we could not do for ourselves on our own, in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own energy. He has sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. He wants to exchange our sin for Jesus' righteousness. So that we, when we stand before God, it's not based on, hey God, look what I've done. It's God, look, look what Jesus has done for me. My standing is in Jesus. That is one of the most beautiful phrases in all Scripture. In Christ. In Christ. And folks, here's the, here's the truth. We're either in Christ or we're not. There is no in-between state. There's, it's, kind, it's not like, oh yeah, I'm just a little bit pregnant. No, no, there's no little bit pregnant. You either are or you aren't. You're either in Christ or you're not. And so when we come and we understand that we are separated from Christ, that our sin is, is, is not acceptable in God's sight, but that God has acted on our behalf in Jesus Christ. And then if we accept his son by faith, then we stand before God justified. That's a beautiful picture. And that's the foundation of Paul's argument as he moves on. And he goes on to say this, because of this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand this. Peace with God only comes through being justified in Christ. That's it. As a matter of fact, if we read a little bit further in in Romans chapter 5, we would discover in verse 10 that before we are believers, we are enemies of God. What does that mean? That means we lived in rebellion against God. That means we lived as if we were Lord. I'm in charge. I'm on the throne. This is, this is my life. I'm the captain of my own destiny, the master of my own fate. That is completely contrary to Christianity, by the way. Now, you can still be a go-getter. You can still be a type A. You can still be a high achiever, but you're not on the throne. You, you've stepped off that chair, and Jesus has been seated there because that is the only way we have peace with God. Otherwise, we're in rebellion against God. There is no other way for us to have peace with God if we are not justified in Jesus Christ. And so when we come to Jesus, we declare him as both Savior, that is, he's taking care of my sins, and Lord, that is, he is master and commander. He is king of my life. He sets my pace. He sets my course. He sets my priorities. It is him and him alone. You see, there's only one worthy to sit on the throne. It's not you. 
And I don't know how much of your time you spend trying to shove Jesus off. Maybe you don't want to shove him off. Maybe you just want to share the throne with him. He's not going to do that. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's not, this is not a, a timeshare thing with Jesus. Okay, you can have the throne part of the time, but I want it now. What we're saying when we're in Christ is that Jesus is on the throne and he's setting the pace of my life. I'm no longer living in rebellion. I am now at peace with God. And instead of being an enemy of God, God has called me friend and even more, God has called me his child. At some point this week, would you just... Get away to someplace quiet and alone. And just consider that God has called you his son or his daughter. That God has adopted you into his family. That you are born again. You are made new. You are a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. And if that doesn't blow you away, if that didn't stagger you and knock you to your knee, There's something wrong. Do not take what God has done for us in Christ, the immensity of his grace displayed in Jesus on the cross. Do not take that and make it such a small thing that that you can go around calling yourself a son or daughter of the king and it have no impact. That it have no meaning in your life. That it doesn't affect you in some deep, deep way. I am a child of God. That should literally blow your mind. That the king, pure, holy, righteous, would act on your behalf. A sinner undeserving of his love that he would act to save you before you ever knew him and to make you his it's like going outside and counting ah, ten stars in the sky when they twinkle from horizon to horizon. The immensity of God's grace on your behalf, on my behalf, is literally staggering. And we could not fully count the vastness of God's grace if we had a thousand lifetimes. But Paul goes even further. He says, through Jesus, through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. In other words, God's grace is not merely some past event for you. It is not only that day when you were 12 years old and you heard a gospel message and 
You couldn't wait for the song to start, the invitation at the end, so that you could come down and you could take the pastor's hand and say, Today, I receive Jesus Christ into my heart and life. And I want to follow him. It's not just that moment, parents, when, when your little child of five or six or seven years old took your hand and, and knelt by the bedside with tears running down their chubby little cheeks and prayed a simple prayer for Jesus to come into their hearts. It is not merely, merely that occasion where you took that bottle of liquor to the sink and, and poured it down or took that bottle of pills to the toilet and flushed them down and you fell down on that dirty, stinking floor overcome by your sin and recognized, I can't do this on my own, Jesus, I need you. Now it is that, but it is not only that. God's grace is not relegated to some moment in time when you pray to prayer. God's grace is, this is what Paul is telling us, God's grace is bigger than that. It's, it's huge, it's, it's un, un, unfathomable how great God's grace is. Listen, if you are a believer, you are not only saved by grace, but you stand daily in grace. It is the sphere in which you live. It is your environment. And the tense of the Greek verb here for stand indicates that it is a continual standing. The grace of God in which I continually stand. you've trusted in Jesus, then you not only have an experience of grace in the past, you are standing now and forever in the realm of God's grace. On your best day, you live by grace. On your worst day, you live by grace. God's grace to you will not waver. His disposition toward you will not change. God does not deal with you in a manner in which you deserve. His love does not change. His favor and His kindness are never absent. His mercy and help constantly flow your way. God is not, see, God's not looking for an excuse to yank your salvation away from you. What God's looking for is ever increasing opportunities to pour ever-increasing grace into your life. If you're his child, that's what he wants to do for you. He's always looking for more and more opportunities to bring more and more grace to bear in your life. And he's trying to open your eyes to see just how great his grace is. Because I'm going to tell you what, your understanding of the grace of God will be in direct proportion to your love for God. Let me say that again. Your understanding of the grace of God in your life is in direct proportion to how much you will love him. And the more you understand God's grace, the more you will fall in love with him. Because you will understand that he didn't have to save you. He didn't have to love you. He didn't have to send his son to die for you. But he did. 
and it's all because of his character, his grace. And I'm convinced that just as a little boy had such a small view of the starry sky, many of us view God's amazing grace in the very same way. And so if you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, what you said has struck a chord with me. I can't say that I'm madly in love with Jesus. I can't say that I have an expansive view of grace. Jimmy, how can I get there? If we want more, greater view of God's grace, we will find it when we truly come to the cross. For you see, God's love and our sin meet at the cross. For Jesus paid the price for all our sin. It is at the cross that we're convicted that we're sinners with no hope. And it is at the cross where through the blood of Jesus we find there is hope. Jesus didn't deserve to die. And quite frankly, I didn't deserve to be saved. But by God's grace, His vast, immense, immeasurable, amazing grace, I stand before you as one who has been redeemed. The price paid. And I'm His. I'm His Son. And oftentimes, there's so much sin and selfishness that still flows through my life that I, I look to God and I say, how could you? you? You knew I'd do this. You knew I'd say this. You knew I'd think this. And yet you died for me anyway. Jesus, you knew there'd be times I'd just shove you off the throne Take it for myself, and yet you died for me anyway. You knew that there would be days when I would be prayerless and angry and selfish. And you died for me anyway. You knew. You knew that Sometimes the love in my heart couldn't fill a thimble. And yet you love me so much. That you sent your son to a cross in my place. And that even now, you're preparing a place for me to be with you forever. Oh, folks, I pray there are more than 10 stars in your sky. I pray that somehow God might open your eyes to see 
bigger vista of His grace. And that having seen it, you would never be the same. God's grace is more vast than the universe. And the more we know of it, the more we love Him. And the more we want to know. And the more we're changed. The simple truth is that sinners are saved by grace. That believers are kept by grace. And that all God's children will one day sing of his amazing grace with him forever. My question for you this morning is, are you among them? You see, many of us think that if I go to church on a semi-regular basis, if I put some money in the offering plate and maybe give to the Red Cross or make one of those, sh- those shoe boxes and fill it with stuff at Christmas time and send it off to some third world country, maybe because mom and dad were Christians or grandma and granddad were Christians or because at some point in my life they they dunked me under some water and they put my name on a church roll. Many of us think, okay, that's it. That's good. I'm good. I'm covered. I'm done. But what the Bible tells us is that it is by grace that you're saved. And that's through faith, through your belief in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And this is not something you have done yourselves. But it is the gift of God. A gift which he extends to you even now. He knows you. Oh, he knows you. But he loves you anyway. And today, he'd like to call you his own. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word. It is true, it is powerful, it is beautiful. It is transforming. And I pray that this morning, that if you're calling people to enter your grace, sinners to receive it, believers to relish in it, God, that whatever you call us to do, that we won't be content to sit or to stand, but we will move to run into your arms and to be received. And so, Lord, we come to respond, to receive your Son as Savior, to take the next step of our faith walk, to be baptized, to to be a part of the life of a church. Perhaps, Lord, what you're calling us to do is to simply come and be honest with you, to fall before you and to repent for making your great grace so small a thing. Whatever it is, Lord, that you call us to do, this is the time, and we will respond. In Jesus' name, amen.